0: Welcome to the Future Designs podcast, recorded in front of a live audience.
1: Hello and welcome to the first ever podcast from British lighting manufacturer Future Designs. In this episode we'll be talking to author, lecturer and sleep expert Dr Neil Stanley about his new book, How to Sleep Well, The Science of Sleeping, Smarter, Living Better and Being Productive, out now and published by Capstone. Neil, thank you very much for joining us. It's a pleasure. Uh, it seems to me, having done a bit of research, that there are a plethora of books devoted to sleep on the market right now. And I'm wondering if we can discuss why that might be.
0: Well, I think that we, we've finally woken up to the importance of sleep. And interestingly, the history of sleep books is, is quite fascinating because Aristotle published something in 3000 BC and, and that became the definitive text. Nobody cared about sleep. Because to be honest... Sleep's a universal phenomenon. Everybody does it. And it, it didn't seem to be important to tell people how to do it. You just went to bed, you closed your eyes and you got to sleep. And it's only been very recently that we've had this idea that sleep's a problem. Before, as I say, you know, a hundred years ago, you just went to bed. Oh, you know, you had your tea, you came, you'd come home from a hard day's work, you had your tea, you went to bed. And now it's a sort of very first-world problem. We
1: well, have, you you we, describe it as a catastrophe in the first opening pages, or you, you say it isn't a catastrophe. It isn't a catastrophe. So w- what state are we in? Well, I mean, there was a, a study that
0: came out last week which really sort of confirmed my view, but it actually sort of slightly blew my mind, was that we're actually sleeping 43 minutes longer now than we did in 1974. Now, in 1974, we didn't even have total colour TV coverage. That didn't happen until 76. You had one television in your house. Nobody had any TVs in their bedroom, let alone mobile phones or screens. You worked 9 to 5. Late-night shopping was 6 o'clock on a Thursday night. Pubs closed at 10.30. TV went off at 11. And so you people look back at the past thinking oh we slept much better but somehow we're sleeping 43 minutes more now than we did and that doesn't make sense if it's meant to be a catastrophe and and the authors of the papers said oh it's because the people are rich enough to have a better work like Ballon. but that's crazy you only have to get on a commuter train to see people you know, working on their laptops at 6 o'clock in the morning and at 10 o'clock at night. So surely we should be sleeping much worse, and we're not. What we've done is we've fallen out of love with sleep. In the past, we, we used to sleep used to be seen as a good thing, it was a nice thing. Now we see sleep as a thing you have to do at the end of the day rather than you want to do. So people don't wind down, people don't relax, uh, and therefore they're neglecting their sleep because of it.
1: So if there is this neglect of sleep, which has created a significant new market of books, I wonder what your book is going to bring to it.
0: My book brings to Um. the world a bit of common sense um, (laughs) and and, and demythologizes, Because there are these people, the doom and gloom merchants, who are saying, you know, we're all going to die because we're not sleeping well and, you know, productivity suffers because we're not sleeping well. Uh, And, and, you know, there's this whole industry of devices and apps and and things like that that are being sold. Um, And it's it's just... That's the way you create a market. You tell people they're going to die, and, of course, they want to avoid it. So my book is just common sense. It's factually based. It's my 36 years' experience as a sleep expert. And it just says... I mean, you know, the, the last chapter is... 36 things you don't need to do. To Including get scraping
1: your tongue before you go to sleep. Yes, yeah,
0: scraping, yeah. And, and don't drink really cold water and hum to yourself. I mean, if you lay in bed humming, your bed partner's probably going to think you're some sort of muppet. I mean, it, it, it's just not, you know, it's not, it's not real. And so it's about, you know, get a good night's sleep tonight and tomorrow you'll be better. It, it, it's not, you know, I'm not saying you'll be well, I'm not saying you're going to live forever I'm not going to say you're going to be, you're just going to be better tomorrow if you get a good night's sleep So it's not promising you that you'll live longer It's
1: just that life will be better if you've got good sleep uh, You start the book by kind of introducing your own sleeping habits Can we describe those? Yeah, I mean, I, I'm the
0: only sleep expert who actually publishes their own sleep habits because if you know, if I'm going to give you advice I'd rather expect you to say well who are you to give this advice what do you do so um, yeah I mean I take my sleep seriously mainly because I don't do any exercise or diets so sleep's the only thing that's going to keep me alive um, and so um, you know I've, I've got a, a big and relatively expensive bed I sleep on my own uh, I have I went to Amsterdam to buy my duvets because in Holland they have Long single duvets. I mean, that is
1: taking it very seriously.
0: <coughs> yeah, well, yeah, I mean, who has ever gone to Amsterdam and come back with a suitcase full of duvets? <laughs> um, <coughs> they really did look at me quite strangely when I checked in. It's like, you know, what if you got in there, duvets? Yeah, okay. Um, but so, so you know, I, I I try and get the sleep I need, which is roughly nine and a half hours. So I'll go to bed at nine o'clock or half eight if I'm sleepy. Uh, I don't really sort of, you know, I don't avoid alcohol, or, or if I want a cup of tea, I'll have a cup of tea, and if I, if I want to have a curry, I'll have a curry. I mean, it's... it's you know, this, this, isn't a, this isn't a dress rehearsal. This is the only life you've got. You're never going to lie on your deathbed thinking... Oh, you know, I should have got, um, you know, I shouldn't have had so many hangovers in life. Um, So I, I, you know, enjoy life, but just see sleep as a part of that. But yes, I do take my sleep very seriously.
1: Um, And throughout the book, one of the recurring themes, it seems to me, is sleeping by yourself not sleeping with your partner.
0: Oh, absolutely, yes. Sleeping with your partner is absolutely abnormal and unnatural. Um, And uh, humans are the only animals that sleep together for intimacy. Other animals may sleep together for warmth or security, but humans are the only ones that choose to do that. And essentially, um, it goes back to being poor and not having enough space, and so we slept together. Um, And this, this happened around the middle of the 16th century, which is also when we discovered the Protestant idea of shame. And so the two things you did behind closed doors was to sleep and have sex. And that's where sleep and sex became linked. They are not. Humans are the only animals that have sex in the place that they sleep. Um, And uh, I, I published a paper, the first paper of its type in 2005, showing that much of your sleep disturbance is caused by your bed partner. Uh, If you sleep in a standard UK double bed that's four foot six wide, you actually have nine inches less space each to sleep in than your child. So if the person moves or coughs or snores, they are going to disturb you. So sleeping separately, say rich people sleep separately because they've got the space. We know the Queen and Prince Philip sleep separately because when Michael Ryan broke in 30 years ago, he sat, and it was specifically stated he sat on the bottom of the Queen's bed, and chatted to her so actually sleeping together is a very modern phenomenon it, heels were at the Paris Salon in 1935 were um, showing twin beds as the new sexy way of sleeping so uh, to be honest rather than parking a BMW outside your house to show you how rich you are just say I don't sleep with my wife <laughs> um,
1: so, so- how did this interest in sleep occur in the first instance? I believe you started your working life at the RAF. Yeah, I worked with the um, <coughs> RAF
0: at the Institute of Aviation Medicine in Pharma. This is back in 1982. And essentially, at the time, there was a three-bed sleep lab there because we, you know, the RAF had a long-duration capability. You know, Hong Kong, Singapore. In April '82, of course, we, we started fighting the Falklands conflict. So... You, you, know, you had to get pilots down there, you had to give them drugs so they could sleep when they you know, got to ascension or whatever and then allow them to wake up and carry on flying. That So uh, it, it really, I mean, I, I started as a boy, of, uh, a boy of 16 and a half um, and it's a bit like that old Motown song, if you can't be with the one you love, love the one you're with. Uh, I had no interest in sleep when I got a job uh, doing it and 36 years later it's all I've ever done. Um, you know I, I, it's, you know, I always like to say, you know, i spent my ad- whole adult life watching other people go to sleep. But that just sounds a bit creepy if you say it out loud. Um, so, uh, but yeah, it, it's just, it's just, it just fascinates me. And now if I, you know, I am actually a single issue fanatic. If I'm not talking about it, I'm writing about it. If I'm not writing about it, I'm reading it. And if I'm not reading about it, I'm doing it.
1: Can we talk a little bit about the science behind sleep and how it's structured... Uh, what are the stages of sleep? I wonder.
0: Well, I mean, during during any twenty-four hour period, you're in one of three distinct states of being. You're either awake, you're in non-rapid eye movement sleep or rapid eye movement sleep. Now, REM and non-REM are as different from each other as being awake. You don't notice that because you're asleep. Uh, Non-REM sleep makes up about seventy to eighty percent of the night and is usually divided by into three stages of sleep. So stage one is the lightest stage of sleep. Uh, It's the the, the transition from awake to asleep. So If you're awake and you go to sleep, you'll go through stage one sleep whenever you fall asleep. It's such a light stage of sleep that if I were to wake you up in stage one sleep, you'd say, why did you do that? I I wasn't actually asleep. Um, Stage two is 50% of the night. And you would have thought something that was 50% of the night would be very, very important. It probably is, it's just we don't know why at the moment. Stage three is the deep slow-wave sleep, which is the deep restorative sleep. So it's the bit of sleep that makes you feel like you've had a good night's sleep. And stage uh, stage three is involved in memory learning um, and growth. So everything about the day that you experience, you'll sort out those memories in the night, some of the stuff you can forget some of the stuff you need to remember and lay down as a memory and you do that during deep sleep. You learn, so if you're practicing a new task, you'll learn during the night and be up to 17% better at that task. And then the final thing is you grow, so deep sleep is the only time you physically grow during the 24-hour period. Rapid eye movement sleep is when you have your long story-like dreams. Everybody dreams, everybody dreams four or five times a night, but you can only remember your dreams if
1: you wake up during them. And I was intrigued by the fact, I didn't know this as a layman, that you're apparently paralysed when you
0: You are, yeah. I mean, because when you dream, your dreams are actually real. So you have a physiological response to things that happen in the dream. And so, you know, sometimes you wake up and your heart's pounding... And you're breathing heavily and you're sweating and you may feel fear or anxiety and that sort of thing. Well, that's because you're having a physiological response. And sometimes you wake up and you think, I can't possibly go to work today. I've just spent all night chasing dinosaurs uh, and I'm knackered. Um, And so in order to protect you from acting out those dreams, nature essentially... Uh, paralyzes you. You lose muscle tone. Essentially, you become floppy, except, interestingly, one bit of the male that does the <laughs> exact opposite. Uh, but that has absolutely nothing to do with the content of the dream and its simple fluid dynamics. <laughs> Good. Um, LAUGHTER
1: also, one of the things that comes out in the book is this: uh, you kind of debunk the myth that there's a relationship between lack of sleep and powerful people. I mean, we've just had in the press people like Mark Wahlberg describing his regime and getting up at 2.30 in the morning, playing golf for half an hour at 7. Yeah. Uh, there was always this myth about, or the, the story about Margaret Thatcher sleeping for only four hours a day. Is there a relationship between power and people who are high achievers and their lack of sleep.
0: No, there's a a relationship to power and what propaganda you can put out about yourself. Um, You know, what's interesting, we've just had that story about Elon Musk working 120 hours and his staff say that he sleeps on the bench. This is exactly the same story that was told about Edison. It's exactly identical story. And it's this myth. If you actually look at the Edison papers, there is a letter from his daughter to a friend who says that Edison comes home, has his tea, and then he goes to sleep. But then he forces himself go to back to the factory at 9 o'clock because that is what the newspapers expect. It's not that that's what he wants. He says he hates it but the newspapers expect him. And this is all about propaganda. There's no evidence. Charles Moore, when he wrote the biography of Thatcher, was asked about Thatcher's four hours, and he said, no, there's no evidence of it at all. She was a woman with a male cabinet. She had to appear strong. And the, the best example of this is Napoleon. Everybody says Napoleon was a short sleeper, but his private secretary wrote a book and said that there were two things that people said about Napoleon. His detractors said that he had an illness, epilepsy, that made him weak. His supporters said that he needed less sleep because sleep was incompatible with greatness. And yet, actually, Napoleon slept eight hours a night and you really didn't wake him up for any reason. So it is this propaganda, it's I am better than you. And it goes right back to the early Christian fathers. In the past, it was the idea that you were praising God, therefore you are holy because you were praising God. Now it's I'm better than you, therefore I deserve my you know, private jet, my share options and my multi-billion pound paycheck. It is that virtuousness of of lack of sleep. So it's, it's just propaganda. There's no, I mean, they did Trump supposedly only sleeps four hours, but then somebody analysed when he tweets, and there's sort of six hour gap where he doesn't tweet. So you've really got to be thinking he's sleeping for that time.
1: Sticking on the really subject of Donald Trump for a moment, not that I particularly wanted, <laughs> but. Um... Is there a relationship, therefore, between age and sleep or lack of sleep? No. <clears> this,
0: is, this is one of the great myths of sleep is we don't need less sleep as we get older. What happens is we find it more difficult to get sleep because as we get older, what happens is we lose the deep restorative sleep. Uh, and so as we get older, you may sleep through the night, but you don't feel any benefit from it. You wake up and you think, well, you know, I don't, I don't feel well-rested. Uh, But the other thing is, if you don't have that deep sleep, you're more easily woken up. And when you are awake, there's very little pressure to put you back to sleep. So the elderly need the same amount of sleep they needed when they were 25. They're just going to find it much more difficult to get it um, because there's no pressure to go to sleep. Whereas the children can sleep anywhere through anything and if they wake up they can instantly fall back sleep. as we get older that doesn't happen.
1: Well I wanted to pick up on that interestingly because you have some quite interesting things to say about schools and shift work and you think schools should start later in the day for instance.
0: Yeah I mean this is this is a big big controversy I mean last week or two weeks ago or so, in California, they had a referendum and and they voted to put the school start time back um, and it was left to the governor to sign and the governor refused to sign it. Even though we've got 20 years of knowledge that if you push school start times later, children do better academically, physically, their behaviour improves, etc., their grades improve. And yet he went against that, saying, oh, you know... we." We, we should be sort of uh, letting people make their own decision. And you ask... I mean, I was actually talking to some ed- educationalists over the weekend, um, and I said, why did school start early? And they said, oh, it's for the convenience of the parents to drop the children off. I said, well, that works at the start of the day, but it doesn't work at the end of the day. You, you can't have it both ways. You either drop them off or you can pick them up. You can't do both in a normal working day. And actually, school start times go right back to our pre-industrial time you worked you went to school in the morning you went to the farm and helped your parents in the afternoon you had to earn your keep so there's no structural reason why we should allow children to suffer for the benefit of teachers and parents it's a a crazy thing
1: Uh, obviously we're in a lighting showroom uh, but the key to sleeping is darkness isn't it
0: it is um it very much is and the thing with the thing with light and dark is that in the past it was pretty simple. You had the sun and you had the night. 300,000 years ago we invented fire and that allowed us to colonise the night to a degree. But you never stayed awake all night because that meant you'd have to chop down a lot more trees um, to keep the fire going. So up, up until very recently... Um, you made the decision to go to bed when you put the last lump of coal on or the last log on the fire. It wasn't anything about the light. It was about heat. Um, and, and and to be honest, the, the big change, everybody goes, oh, it was Edison and his light bulb that caused us to be able to colonise the night, and that's just absolute nonsense. The real change came when we got central heating, and that actually is only 40, 50 years old. It's, before that, you, you really didn't do the... Um, The colonisation of the night now what's happened in the lighting industry is we now have very very clever lights which allow us to do pretty much anything, the problem is we have no idea whether that is a good or a bad thing, so this idea of human centric lighting um, is not it's, it, it's a, there is the technology to, to set your lighting um, system up however you like, but we don't actually know what that does to the human. And that, I think, is the big disconnect that we have, that lighting engineers congratulate themselves on how very clever they are because they can do this. But the sort of physiology hasn't really caught up with that. And so, yes, you can use light to help people feel awake, um, and yes, you can help use light to put people to sleep. But you can use amphetamine to keep people awake. And, and you can use sleeping tablets to put people to sleep. But if, if a company said that, you know, you know, give them amphetamine in the morning, cannabis in the afternoon and a sleeping tablet at night to increase productivity, you'd be laughed at. But then human-centric lighting makes the argument, oh, we can use bright light in the morning, wake everybody up, and then we can calm them down towards the end of the day and they'll all go to sleep. And, and we're not like that. We're, we're, you know, if you think about it, in the summer, going to work, bright sunshine, you'll have had a huge amount of natural light that's told you it's, you're awake. And so anything you do in the office is going to matter not at all. If in the winter, middle of December, you go from a dark London street into a brightly lit office, that's going to massively shift your circadian rhythm. I mean, people go on about how you shift your circadian rhythm with the clock change and how that leads to accidents and sleepiness. So from going from a dark street into into a bright light is going to be massively disruptive and certainly probably won't lead to any increase in productivity because the problem with human-centric lighting is it doesn't involve the human. It involves the group. It involves the average, not the individual. So you... Oh, and, and the thing is, basically, if you if you just put people... If you can imagine you've moved into a new office and it's an, it's an open-plan office and you put all 120 people outside the door and said you can have free choice of desk, there would be murder for people to try and get by the window. Everybody's going to choose the desk by the window. Forget how many millions of pounds you spent on the lighting rig. People want to sit next to the window. It's as simple as that.
1: This notion of kind of individual tailored choice that seems to be the overarching theme of the book
0: right oh yeah absolutely and 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 the thing is you, you know i do live in a in a in a dream world a utopia where it is possible to have individual choice it's called having your own office um you know, when I started work 32, 35 years ago, I had my own office. I was a boy of 16. I had my own office. If I wanted to play around with the temperature or switch the radiator off or increase the light, it was easy to do. Now, as I say, this whole idea of individuality has been taken away. But, you know, I'm a strong morning person. You may be a strong evening person, subjecting us to the same lighting condition is going to have very, very differential effects. So we
1: never should have got rid of the cellular office? If oh, absolutely
0: to not. I mean, we, 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 know, we know from from all the studies in the world that people, people just don't like open plan offices because they're never given the choice. They're given... You've got a really old, horrible open plan office and you can have a new open plan office with a tea bar and a table, football table would you like the new one? they go, yes, I'd like the new one. And then six months later, they're asked, do you like your new office? And they go, yes. They're never asked, do you want your own office? Do you want to work nine to five with an hour-long lunch break? Um... And you're given luncheon vouchers so you can actually leave the office and buy food from your local cafe rather than us providing you with free food in the, in the office. And, you know, it's all, just a, it's all just a way of making you think they love you and that you're willing to work much harder. Um, you know, this is why Google, you know, you're never more than 200 feet away from food in Google HQ. Is that because Google love you? No it means
1: you never leave the Google campus. Are there societies that have got this better than we have in the West? You talk about Japan, for instance, in the book.
0: Well, Japan have this thing called inamura, which is the ability to be asleep but present, which means in any situation, including an office you know, business meeting, you can fall asleep. Um, as long as you don't look like you're asleep, you're not dribbling or snoring, you're allowed to be asleep. Um and actually one of the biggest um biggest compliments you can give to a Japanese boss is that you look sleepy which means of course he's obviously so dedicated. So the idea of being able to sleep in business meetings or on trains or whatever uh, is quite a good thing this idea of public napping which of course we feel is in, in the west it's a, it's a slight weakness but even in the west the actual thing is that in England or in the UK we have a more aggressive view of the 24-7 society than any other country in the West. In Switzerland, if you stay in a Swiss block of flats at 10 o'clock, you'll hear every TV in that block of flats be turned down. In your contract, you are not allowed to flush the toilet between midnight and 6 o'clock in a Swiss block of flats. You go to America. Oh, the city, you know, New York, New York, the city that never sleeps. You go to the middle of Montana, and if you try and stay out after 9 o'clock, you're going to be on your own, and probably the restaurant's going to be closed. Oh, we've got, you know, 24-hour Tesco's. You're not going to find Walmart open 24 hours i mean in america they have you know your convenience store which has got 400 types of alcohol crisps condoms and aspirin which is actually all anybody needs at two <laughs> o'clock in the morning there's nothing else you need to buy at two o'clock in the morning um yes you know, paris is closing down uh, music nightclubs in uh, in, the, in in residential areas of paris um the French, of course, have a 35 hour working week. Volkswagen refused to allow you to receive an email one hour before your shift starts or 30 minutes after your shift starts. So they, you know, you only get paid for that amount of money. In company towns like uh, Wolfsburg and Ingolstadt, if you work overnight, you get bussed home. Nobody drives, because if you're driving after a night shift, you're massively increased risk of, of having a car accident. So there are plenty of people who are doing this better. The British have just got this crazy idea of this 24 hour society. And I, I talked to the very senior person in BT a few years ago, and I said, Why can you pay your bill at two o'clock in the morning, but you can't complain? You know, customer helpline, complaints line only ever worked nine till five, but you can pay your bill, but you can't complain at us. And I said, well, why did, oh, well, you know, is what the customer wanted. And I said, well, when? I, I must have missed the, you know, the marches down Whitehall with people saying we want to pay our phone bill at two o'clock in the morning. I really don't remember that actually happening. Um, and so this is the problem, I say, with, with uniquely British view of the 24-hour society, that Everything has to be available. And, you know, people say, oh, well, you know, you see these people, women, saying, oh, you know, I I put my car, you know, my child in the car and I drive them to Tesco's and I do my shopping at 2 o'clock in the morning. Well, that's all well and good, but you are still going to have to take your other children to school at 7 o'clock the next morning. So, one, you're sleep-deprived and a danger on the road, and two... Is that the only way you can get your child to sleep, you know, rather than actually just using what's known as parenting? Um,
1: So our time is nearly up. (laughs) So just one final question. Um, It seems to me you seem quite cynical both about the old myths when it comes to getting a good night's rest and also the burgeoning sleep industry. So who should we really trust?
0: Yourself, basically. Um, the, the, The whole thing about sleep is there's no magic way to go to sleep. It's a very individual thing. And, you, you know, the only way I fall asleep is I read every night, but I'm not going to suggest that you read every night. It, it's what you want to do. So you need to listen to your body. Go to bed when you're sleepy, have enough sleep, wake up naturally after you've had enough sleep, and do whatever relaxes you at the start of the night. This is it. You're never going to be, you're never going to make a fortune. The problem is nobody owns sleep. And therefore you have to make sleep seem either difficult or, deadly or, or, or something that you need a device to do rather than just common sense. People don't like common sense um, because that, that requires them to do something. They want something to abrogate their rights. Oh, I can buy this or I can do that. Just go to bed. If you ask a good sleeper how do they sleep, how do they go to sleep, they'll look at you like you're an idiot. You know, I lie down, I close my eyes. How complex
1: is that? And, 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 and that's the problem. Seems like the perfect place to finish. Uh, Dr. Neil Stanley, thank you very much. I hope you've enjoyed Future Design's first podcast and look out for more episodes soon. Thank you.